Welcome to the E-Commerce Fuel Podcast, your headquarters for building a six-figure-plus e-commerce business. I'm your host, e-commerce entrepreneur and Jeff Bezos wannabe, Andrew Derry. Hey guys, it's Andrew here, and welcome to another episode of the E-Commerce Fuel Podcast. If you'll remember from last week, I was chatting with Ben Jenkins from OneFastBuffalo and Warstick.com. And we're going to go ahead and continue that discussion in today's today's episode. Uh, last week we talked a lot about uh, we talked a lot about branding. We talked a lot about um, you know kind of his life and and today we're going to get more into uh, into kind of the manufacturing aspect and and building his brand. Um, so it's just want to continue that conversation from last week. So we'll go ahead and dive right into that. So you started the business in 2011, uh, 2014 now, obviously, and you know, at least based on what was on your site, you're one of the top, you know, one of the, the leading manufacturers, uh, you know, salesmen of, of not salesmen, but you know, uh, distributors. Distributors is a terrible word. I'm struggling to come up with a word here, but you're one of the top uh, top uh, wooden brands of bats online, yeah. and you've done that in three years. Um, you know, which is impressive for any industry. So how did you do that? I'd love to dive in a little bit to that, you know, on the manufacturing side. Can you give us a sense of are, are the bats made here in the United States? Yeah. You know, where are they made? Was that a lot of work to get that set up? Uh, I'd love to hear about, you know, how you went from just the concept to actually getting these made uh, made yeah. for people. No problem. Um, I'll reveal all I can without giving it to all to my competitors as well, as well. but um yeah, um, if we could get phone numbers and specs yeah, and costs for everything, yeah. that'd be great. Maybe some, you know, designs of all the bats. After bat, ma- bastard bat makers, email address, you know, whatever. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, you know, it's weird with baseball bats. As, as I'm starting to experience, of course, with other products that I'm working on, it's so hard, it, you know, that are so hard to find ways to get them made here. Baseball bats is something that's very much made here. It's very much an American manufacturing thing still. And in fact, some brands like Louisville Slugger and some of the bigger guys that got away from that just really got killed when they started making bats overseas and they were really suffering from it. So finding someone to make them here was not a problem at all. The problem was finding a manufacturer that was, you know, of course, they're all making their own brands and they're all, there's not that many bat factories in the country. There's, if there's a hundred brands, there's, I mean, it seems like, you know, I haven't gone and counted, maybe there's, there's 10 factories, something like that. And then you got your small mom and pop garage kind of shops and stuff like that. But what was hard was finding a manufacturer that would look at me and look at what I wanted to do and understand that design had to be so, there had to be, there was a lot of extra effort that went into what we were trying to make. And it was very much, I never thought of it as a private labeling business because I'm, in, I'm by no means asking them to take the product they already make and just slip, slap my name on it. You know, it's, I just I found someone that was really willing to sit down and push themselves to become an artisan in terms of what they um, and in terms of what I was trying to work with them on making. Um, and so I finally found someone that was willing to seem like they were willing to do it. And then I spent a good two months just kind of I took the trailer out to the factory and I lived at the factory. So I really kind of lived and breathed it for a time till we got it right, and I was and, and I felt like we were ready to to put those things online and see if anybody wanted them. So it was it was really pushing, and there was a couple times where they thought, "Look, this thing you're trying to do right here is not going to work," and we just kind of you know it was just getting in there and finding ways to make it work until now. It's just it's amazing to look back and and look at the little details and how good we are at that. 
you know, so there was really that, that feeling of craftsmanship, even though it's not my own factory. Um, How do you do that, Ben? How do you go into an industry that's, I'm guessing, and I don't know the market well, but I'm guessing it's predominantly dominated by big players, like you said, like Louisville. And yeah. and there's, I mean, the the bat market does not seem like you'd have a whole lot of artisan artisan bat makers, you know. You so how do you go into these big factories, which are I'm you know, used to dealing with yeah. big players, and sell them on this, you know, this very custom, very unique, very specialized uh, departure from what they're normally doing, especially given that, you know, you're not a big company, you don't have a history in in, in making bats. You yeah, you've got the the baseball background, but was it just a lot of persistence and, and calling yeah. people and getting turned down and showing up at offices and, and talking yeah. to people and just eventually you found someone who was willing to buy into that? Was it persistence more than anything else? Well yeah, I would say so. I mean you can I mean most bat companies are started by some washed up baseball player like myself. That's not new. So they had heard that a thousand times. Someone wanted to do kind of a private label, they hear all the time. And they'll do it because they, you know, the bat business is a thing where you've got all this lumber that you really need to make mats out of. So bat businesses, bat manufacturers like private labels because they might, even if they make 100 bats a year, that's using up wood and helping them with their overhead. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what their expectation usually is. So they, I'm sure, and I know that they saw me like that. But I just pushed, you know, what I really did was push past kind of the front office into the floor. And I really started getting to go to know the guys that were on the floor, turning bats, sanding bats, painting bats, and, and working with them just, and just, you know, am I, am I, these guys, I don't know why they let me do it, but, or maybe they didn't know I was doing it, but I just got into that where I was working on the floor with the, with the guys making the bats. And really, I am a guy that can sit there and turn a bat do these sanding processes. It's a real art. And I made them feel like it was a real art. And I said, Hey man, let's make, you know, and I think I, as, as opposed to something where it's like, how many bats can you make in a day? I'm like, let's see what we, how, how beautiful we can make something. And they really, that's new for them. And they really responded to that. And now they just, I get messages from the guys on my floor that just, you know, they really enjoy and are super proud of what they're making. And that's a good, you know, and that's a good feeling. And it's, it's hard work, man. It's day in, day out, monotonous, doing the same thing over and over. So I really just got on the, on the ground floor with those guys and kind of did that. But, so, you know, so, yeah. so you spent two, sorry to interrupt them, but you spent two months, you said you had your trailer there at the factory. Were you in the factory, you know, hours and hours each day? Did you feel that was necessary just because you really wanted to make sure you understood the entire process? Was it was it because you wanted to inject your your vision for the brand and, and the you know really what you felt needed to go into the product into the actual craftsmen who were making it? And and I guess were you were you in there like eight hours a day for two months? Not not every day, but it was just I just think I felt like because I was not opening my own factory and doing it myself, I felt responsible to help them. You know, I just felt responsible to, if I'm going to push someone, I just need to get in there and help them and help them figure it out. And it really was about just getting it right. And it was fun. Like I said, it was new for me too. It was fun. Um, That process of refinement is just something I do in design. Usually it's in digital space, but I was like, this this is like the same feeling, but it's, it's real life. It's, I'm getting sawdust in my brain. I can't even breathe in it. You know, it's just different. (laughs) It's this much more tangible thing. But that same process that I love as, as a designer was there. Um, and, you know, it just, I mean, part of it is just, I just, because of my experience as a, as a player, I do, I kept envisioning this time when I would launch these bats and have my old buddies who really knew what they were looking at. I didn't want them going, look, this is a piece of crap. You know, this is, and, and so I, I really was, part of it was fear. I, I was like, I have, this has to be either really awesome and great 
functionally endure. You know, it's not just pretty looking either. It had you know a lot of it too is just the quality of what we're making. We buy the most expensive wood that we can. We source the wood. That raw product that goes into the bat is really what makes you know from a performance standpoint it stand up. I didn't want my buddies coming. Hey, this is a piece of crap. So I have just was really I've got to get this right. You got your pride on the line, yeah. Yeah, it really, and, and I think most of the things that I do, because I'm a, des- I mean, designers are very egocentric, and we just everything that we place into the world, we feel is a representation of us. That's just part of that being that um, being a designer, you know. And it's the same thing. I was like, I am not putting this crap, a piece of crap, into the world. And that, again, it goes to even if even if I could make a cheaper thing and sell more of it, I just could, I don't think I could do it. Like it, I'm kind of done that way. But you know, like I really think we as What's really cool these days, I think there's a movement towards really carefully considering what we put into the world, what we take from the world and what we put into the world in terms of products. I think we should really make a hard and fast decision about, is this product worth being out in the world? Is it going to make it better? Is it going to make people happy? Is it going to be positive? You know, and I, and I do feel, I have seen enough in 15 years of clients doing that and the reverse of that, that I, I definitely wanted to put something out into the world that was going to make it better and make people happy. And man... The one thing that I've never experienced with a client job is I've never gotten an email from a client's mother who says, man, you just made my kid the happiest kid on the planet. He got his bat in the mail today, and he will not put it down. He's sleeping with it under his pillow. <laughs> I mean, so the idea that you can you know, make something and, and be proud of it and, and sell it, and then it also create happiness like that is just like, that's where I'm kind of like, this is just, this is all the things that I love to do in one thing. And so is in terms of that... Just how you know the quality of the product? What a great you know really it's it's you know it's a piece of art that you're putting out there that has a, a very specific purpose. Mm-hmm. Is that what helped in over three years? I mean, how much of that? How much of the product's quality, intrinsic quality, do you attribute to the the ability, the marketing aspect of it, the ability for it to spread and to gain name recognition and and uh, and take off? Did you have a really strong marketing push, or did you largely just create this, put it out into the world, and let the quality speak for itself? Exactly. In fact. You know, as part of part of this was, you know, we thought about what would our clients think about us doing this, and I thought, well, let's go prove to them that that good design and spending your time and focus on making the product as good as you can. I mean, I just—it's a really simple idea. It's like if you make something good, really good, and worth talking about, stolen from you know Seth Godin, that that I, that simple idea of remarkability, worth. When I realized that that meant worth talking about, like how dumb, but how awesome, you know. And, and just and, and really the idea was we aren't going to – and we still do this. We have not spent any money on – we've never hired a PR person. We've never bought ads or anything like that. We've never spent money to market our company. And I don't even feel like we really market the company unless you put branding under the umbrella of marketing, which I really don't. We really just made what we made. We put it online. The only push we did was the first couple days. I mean it was dumb. It was me getting on Facebook and telling my mom that I'd launched a bat company. You know, telling my cousin, like, hey, look, I made bats. And, you know, I had a good amount of baseball friends, you know, on Facebook and Twitter. And it was just really letting people know, hey, this is there. And just saying, hey, if you like it, tell people about it. And that's what happened. I mean, within, I think, three months, we were in, we got featured in the Wall Street Journal. Um, We were in GQ magazine later that year. And all these things, people come to me and they say, how did you get that? And they always assume that I hired a PR person to go tell the story and I honestly, genuinely have never done that. And it was all that I really put that time. I think it was that two months I spent in the factory making the thing good and making something that people had not seen before. And that's why I say that's what really, 
I kind of run the business with that's what I focus on all day. I don't spend any time on – we don't have any sales reps. We don't have any salesmen. We don't have people in here focused on marketing. And I know that's crazy. And I mean I'm really missing those aspects of this business to be honest with you. They're just not there. But that's also just because my purpose for doing this business was just – it wasn't so much about how big. It was um, how small and efficient and minimal – can I be about this business so that those dollars I do make um, towards that time I put in are just, they're a lot. You know, relative to the time I put into this business, it makes a lot of money. And I feel like that's still the right thing to do for a certain amount of years with any brand because it's about crafting that thing until it's really ready to be pushed. And then when you do push, that marketing is going to be much easier. That fan base is already there to talk to. I mean, we're, we're growing organically every day. It's War 6 new to someone every day. Um, and so I hate, you know, when people ask me that question, I feel bad because I'm like, this is how you do it. But it really was. There was not, I really have never marketed the company or advertised or anything like that. We, we have some ads on, online, but it's usually some kind of trade out. Like, you know, a team wanted a discount on bats. So I said, okay, I'll give you 25% off your bats if you put um, my logo on your website and put a link to their site. And I know that that's going to help my SEO and things like that. But, hey, I didn't pay for it. And they got some cheap bats. It's good for both of us. And that's we do a little bit of that kind of thing just when it comes up, but we don't go out. I'm just like I said, I, I don't want to spend my time doing sales and marketing. So I just figure either make something good enough for people to talk about, or don't bother. So you didn't right in the early days. You didn't even go out and seed. Not maybe seeds the wrong word, but you didn't go out and kind of hand out free bats to kind of get the word out about the product and about the uh, the brand. Not not even any of that, huh? No, I mean, I really can say that I, I really spent about a day and a half on Facebook and Twitter just kind of saying, hey, we made this. Now, I did have – I had a large network of baseball guys, and baseball guys are kind of baseball guys. They, they got baseball friends. So my social, um, my social presence from One Fast Buffalo helped as well because I had a decent following with that. Of course, as a designer people. So I kind of hit it from both ends. I hit it with my jock friends, and I hit it with my art friends, you know. <laughs> but um, – but that's it, man. That was really it because, again, too, the thing was I wanted to see – I wanted to really prove to the clients how – and I don't mean to use the word branding because I don't think this is fake. But some making something that is really authentic can really – the word – the great thing about today is the word will spread. If, if you've spent the time to do that and you've really done it, people are going to do it for you. I mean I wanted to really see if that was true. And I didn't need to take any risk. I'm, I've got a family. I've got three kids. I make – a good living, but I'm not rich by any means. You're not going to be rich being a designer. So I was careful about spending money on this. I was fine spending my time, but I think I started, I mean, I launched with maybe, I don't know, less than $800, which is mostly in my, you know, my business license, my, the, my initial decals that go on the back of the bat and my, I don't know, six or seven prototypes that gave me enough to photograph. I mean, I would, I, I use my advantages as a graphic designer. And if, if you look at our site, there's literally hundreds of options that you get on a bat in terms of color and stain style and things like that. When I first made my prototypes, I made them all totally plain. And then I did all the color in Photoshop. So, oh, that's cool. And, and, I still, and it's funny to this day, I still, like if I, if I come up with a new idea, I just build it in Photoshop and put it out on the site and see if anybody's attracted to it and buys it. And then the first one we make now is the, one, the, the first one that someone buys. And so I'm just, I love that idea of just trying to keep it as small and simple and I'm really not a cheap person. I'm probably, I'm not a good saver of money. I'm just, I just, it's more the challenge of seeing how small we can be, but how big we can make this, you know? Yeah, I know. I, I, I really, I, about, like, 
I love the idea of sitting in a lawn chair in front of my trailer and trying to beat on a certain day the, the big guy in the industry, why he's got a massive – that's again, that's just stupid. That's my personality, but I just like that. You know, That's just kind of fun for me, and I think there's something – you really get authentic when you do that kind of thing. And so I just is kind of my mentality, and it's now the challenge is it's, it's gotten so much bigger than I ever thought. It's kind of like trying to maintain the purpose for why I did this and being so appreciative of how well that worked as opposed to getting greedy and just trying to make it as big as it can be just for the sake of it getting big. And that's kind of the struggle I have right now of, of deciding where to go with that. So, and which is honestly why I kind of found your form and things like that. And I'm like looking for that kind of leadership in that regard, because I'm not even a business person. I never intended to be a business person or an entrepreneur. It was just, I wanted to make things on my own terms. And that's, what's so great about e-commerce, man. It's like, it just kind of, it, you can sit in your bedroom, make something, put it online, and people can look at it and go, yes, I have value. I'll pay for that. Or no, I do not. <laughs> and, you know, I just kind of wanted to utilize that. But growing a business, I don't even know that I know how to do that. Ben, it's funny you mentioned the you wanted to make something as big as possible while staying as small and lean as possible. And there's, you know, it's always interesting because I'm probably as guilty as this as anybody. But, you know, you people will talk about their revenue numbers and, and yeah. they'll say, oh, I'm, you know, a $10 million dollar company yeah. sometimes i'll hear like wow those guys are 10 million dollars they're doing a good sized company but then they'll say something like and we've got 45 employees yeah and i'm just like what <laughs> you know uh, you back into that how much revenue per employee and i'm so i've always been surprised or maybe not surprised but i've always thought one really cool metric is what is your revenue per employee and even more like what's your profit per employee yeah. and and not that you'd want to you know kind of like you mentioned you still want to have integrity in your business and you don't want to and if you're trying to maximize profitability at the cost of everything else, of course, you're going to run your business into the ground. But, but given you're doing the right thing for your customer and you've got integrity in your, in your, in your sales and what you're doing, I, I think that's a, a really interesting metric and one that isn't, you know, obviously we're not going to talk about profitability as much as revenue, but you know, how, how many people does it take to scale something up to the size and, and comparing companies, not just on top line revenue, but top line revenue per per employee. So what, what are you doing? Like, I mean, as you've been growing this, what kind of things are you cutting out? Uh, are you just, just not, you know, things that other companies might have that they say you have to have that you're just excluding to, to really keep it a lean operation, to keep it something where you don't have to come in and, and bring in an entire payroll of, of 20 people to manage this. How are you managing to do that? This will sound crazy again, and all the MBA, MBAs will probably just hang up when they hear this, but I don't have a sales and marketing side of my business. I really don't. Um, I fin if I wake up in the morning and I decide that I'm working on Warstick that day, which is really only even, you know, some, some weeks it's none, some weeks it's one or two days. And there are weeks where I'll spend the entire week on Warstick because I'm developing or, you know, maybe I'm developing some, you know, new, new set of products or something. But um, I spend that time on making the stuff and putting it online to make available to the people that have already decided that they like what we're doing. Um, and I don't have sales and marketing. I find that, you know, once a business is launched, most businesses, I mean, it, is, it turns into sales, marketing, and customer service. And so, you know, with customer service is one of the newest things for me. And I've just, I really took the time to, in the first year, answer the phone a lot and let people, you know, when people hear a quote-unquote, I mean, I, I never call myself a CEO, but I, I'm the only employee here, so I don't know what else I would be. When, when they can talk to you, they're blown away. They're like, wow, you, you're the guy? You know, it's, it's, first of all, it's great for business. 
But two, it's like I really start to learn and respond, and, and I needed to learn what they were responding to and what they liked about us and things like that. So just answering the phone for this first year and doing the customer service was really a lot of learning. And what I did is I developed scripts, and that sounds bad too, but there are common questions that I get all the time. And so I, I have really great answers set up already for people, whether it's my fact page or whether it's, you know, just I keep in my Evernote, I just have it where I can copy and paste. If someone says, hey, I'm interested in a team discount, I love your bats, my, one of the kids on our team have it, I've got the answer already so I can answer really quickly. And I, do, I still do all that on myself. And I've just got it, I've just done it so many times, I've got it down. But I, I'm, I'm giving people authentic, real, helpful answers, not just leave me alone. But I also do things like, I try to answer as many questions on our site as possible so that there's not as many phone calls, you know, but, um, so, so you don't have a customer service guy or an operations guy right now. Well, you are kind of the, the main guy who's, who's running everything, all aspects of, of Warstick. Yeah. But I really feel like what it's, it's not so much me. I felt like I've built a system that is operating itself. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I feel like I've built this whole person, this whole brand is a system that, that is working with people on a daily basis, even when I'm asleep. I mean, I'll let you know, there's a little secret too. I mean, it's kind of funny, but I, when I started doing customer service, I don't know, part of it was, I, I created a persona called Johnny Battle. And when you, when you, when you email customer service, he actually responds to you. He's nobody, he's me, I guess. But I was like, you know, hearing from Ben Jenkins just isn't really fun, but hearing from Johnny <laughs> Battle is badass, right? So, and he's kind of this, I, I did want to kind of separate me, I didn't want to be. I didn't want this business to be about Ben Jenkins. I wanted it to be about a persona that we're representing, and I needed. And so I kind of created this guy that kind of is that. And so it's cool. People email back, and they think, "Hey, Johnny, what's up?" You know, like you know, I have something that's the coolest name ever. But and I don't feel like I'm being fake with that. It's just kind of separating myself from it so much, you know, and not being about my ego all the time. I, I wanted like it's Johnny Battle is just a thing that represents tenacity. He represents all these things our brand stands for. And so, you know, I, that was kind of one fun thing I learned. And it's kind of nice because I can't, if I, if I needed to expand and have other people start doing customer service for me, it's not so connected to me. It wouldn't be weird for people. They wouldn't know that it was me or not, you know. And, I'm, and again, I'm just, as long as people are, are, are getting help, they're, they're super happy. But, you know, it's, I like answering the phone. It, like if I, I get a, a parent call that says, hey, I got a 12-year-old you know, what kind of bat should he be using? And I'm, I have to ask them, well, how tall is he? What kind of hitter is, you know? I enjoy that still. I don't know that in three years I'll keep enjoying that, but I still right now it's just, it's, I'm so thankful that people see a product they want to buy and um, are interested enough to even call. I like talking to them. It's really cool. Um, it's just different. So Yeah, you learn so much from getting, I mean, that's one thing I learned the first 18 months of my business was, was you, yeah. There's no better tool for getting to know customers and, and connecting with them and really understanding how your products and your brand is, 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 you know, ties into their lives than, than getting right. on the phone with them. I love, I love too, how you, you incorporate part of your brand experience all the way through customer service into personas. I, that's something that's so cool. Cause I haven't heard that, that done before. And I, I, I gotta be honest, I may steal that for some things we're going to do in the future. Cause it's you, taking, <laughs> taking the fun aspect of the brand uh, and, and especially as it carries through with your brand, you know, kind of the really the seeing, looking at the bat as a as a battle tool, and um, carrying that through the customer service channel. It's you just you unify the entire experience. I think customer service is kind of a second, like an afterthought a lot of times. Maybe not in terms of quality, 
but in terms of experience. I mean, people always talk about have a beautiful site, have really cool products, but how many people talk about having an engaging, fun, and interesting like customer support service? Nobody does, and I love yeah. that. And the keywords experience. I mean, I think I think I'm trying to remember when I when I the first time I did that, but I think it probably had to do with my email signature and just kind of like here's your answer, blah, blah, blah. Now how do I sign off? And it just felt weird to go, thanks, Ben Jenkins, founder of Warsteak. It just seemed, so I do something like, actually we say battle, comma. One says, um, never go down looking, which is an expression in baseball. Thanks, Johnny Battle. And it's just, I think you're expressing the meaning of the brand, even in the email signature, right? Um, and I think that's, it's, again, it's all those little things. And, and it just felt more like it was more about expressing what the brand meant than making sure someone knew that, Hey, I own this company. I'm a big shot because who cares? <laughs> it just, it's, it's more making them excited about what they're buying and, and it being, you know, like I said, it being real, I really believe in that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, so Ben, I've got to ask in terms of how much you can share, what, what, what revenues or what range of revenues are you guys doing now in 2014, three years after launch? Here's where your MBA is going to kill me again. My best guess. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like when I, when I say, like, again, my purpose for building this business was I'm not going to sit there and track my numbers. I'm not going to, I know that I'm making money every time I sell a bat because we do not make a bat until it's ordered, right? So there's no inventory to track. Now that's changing because we're getting into apparel and it's doing really well, like shirts and hats and training gear and things like that. And I'm learning that world now. But since the day someone bought a bat, it's profit because I just I really try to keep this simple and and keep my my spiritual life intact with my sanity and it's really just it doesn't matter how much I make every month and every year I just know that I'm making more than I would be if I didn't do this but I know that I mean I think roughly we're doing about two hundred fifty three hundred thousand dollars in revenue but again that's completely that's that's a one man company doing this I would say on average two days a week. And, and, and that's about it. So it's not nearly even a full-time job for me. And the amount of revenue and profit that I make from that is I don't need more money than that because I'm very hooked into my lifestyle and what I'm trying to make in order to live the lifestyle that I want. So that's kind of the thing. If I had, if I had a sales force, if I had reps all over the country at sitting at baseball tournaments, those numbers would just be massively bigger because the number of bat sales that are done online versus in person is very, it's a pretty small percentage in the industry. So I'm just really taking that one aspect of how sales are done and I'm trying to kick everybody's butt through being the best at that one thing. And I can do that in a very streamlined manner. So yeah. I mean, it's hard to change from that, to be honest with you. I'm like, I, yeah, I know I, I have this kind of goal number in mind of like, if I could sell 20,000 bats in a year, which is still, man, I, I'm making more money than I know what to do with. And it's cash flowing and I have no partners, no one telling me what to do. I have... And I don't know. I don't. I don't know that that's not the way I want to keep rolling with it. You know. Yeah. No. It's 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 a really interesting question. I was listening to an interview with Mark Cuban on uh, this week in startups yesterday, and and he kind of vocalized something I'd been thinking about a lot, which is you get you kind of got to decide what's important to you at some point. You either have to decide like, do you want to build a business that supports your lifestyle, and do you want to prioritize your relationships and and your life and your interests and things like that. And is your business serving you or is your primary goal to build a business that above all gets enormous and huge? And if you if that is, that's fine. You know, you're not going to be able to do that and have the flexibility in your life to really do the things you love as much or spend as much time with the people you love if building a massive business is your goal. And it's it's interesting because I've kind of oscillated between 
you know, going back and forth uh, <laughs> between, you know, which, which one's more important. And it's, uh, I think I've kind of settled uh, on, on, you know, the former, trying to build something that you're really proud of, that you love, but that also is going to, you know, it's not going to just consume your life. And because building a business for the sake of getting it enormous is, let's say a lottery pad. I mean, you can do that, but at the end of the day, are you going to, you're going to kind of be back where you started? Are you, is that really going to bring you happiness? And so, it's, I'm all talk. I mean, I didn't, you know, with Warstick, I already had the experience of with, oh, with, with One Fast Buffalo, I had tried that. We had, we had a lot of employees and I, I got to a point, there was a two-year span where all I did was sell and hustle and get more work to feed more people to do that kind of thing. And I just kind of got to the point where I was like, you know what, what if I keep doing this and I triple in size or I quadruple, is that going to make me content? And it was really easy for me. I was like, no, I like to sit. I, I mean, I like to I like to make my day go slow. I love to. I, I love health and fitness. I love to have time to work out. I love to cook. I want to have time to cook my own meals during the day. I want to be able to throw the ball with my kid in the day. All these things were just not matching up with trying to create the biggest firm of all time. And I was like, whoa, I, got, I was lucky that at 34 or 5 I figured that as opposed to 50 or 60 like some of my mentors you know, who are still hustling to this day. So it was really about matching up what I wanted to do on a daily basis and how I wanted to live. Um, and that, you know, and, and Warstick was a part of that plan. So I, I, I'm a big believer in that, but I've tried both, you know, and I was very, I was not content with the other. And I'm very proud of that. My, my, my work is very much aligned with how I like to live each day. And man, I'm super lucky. And I'm, I'm, I, I consider myself very rich in that regard. I mean, I'm, I'm as rich as anyone I ever meet. I never meet any other people that I'm like, wow, I'm really envious of what you're what you're doing and what, what you've got or what you have because, man, I've got my – I mean, my trailer is not some Lamborghini, but to me, it's, it's a dream come true, you know, and it's changed my kids' lives and it's changed it's, – it's made me into – from a mediocre, everyday American dad into I'm a damn good dad now, you know, <laughs> um, and my kids think I'm cool and I might have a chance to get them through the teenage years still them thinking that and those things are super important to me and that – that's fine. I mean, that's me. That doesn't mean that if you want a Lamborghini, that's, that's totally cool, man. So like I said, I, if Warstick was to somehow make me rich, I don't know that I could quit being a designer. I, that's, 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 what, that's my labor of love, and I want to keep getting better at that. And I, that's something different. I do love putting in the hours to get better and better and better and, and, and have it become more of a spiritual journey, you know? So... You know, just fo- just that focus. I spend a lot of time, you know, every Sunday night I make lists. I have massive amount of list making and projects that I have on my plate that I consider things I get to do. But it's like focusing in and really making sure I'm doing the ones that are most important to me and not doing things reactively and, and just doing things to do them. I mean, I'm really trying to focus on the projects that I know that if I spend all the time with them, I'm going to be happy that they worked. Um, so I, I'm kind of an obsessive list maker, like I'm sure a lot of your entrepreneurs are, but... Um, yeah, it's just being connected to what makes you happy is kind of the, the key, I think. And yeah, I make plenty of money. I mean, and when you live in a trailer for parts of the year, you're not spending money. And it's, it's, it's I mean, I, I heard that dumb proverb one time about the, the, the Mexican fisher who lived and, you know, every day he would get up and he'd have his coffee and he would go fishing and, you know, that, and then kind of the businessman comes in and says, okay, here's what we got to do. We got to take this fishing boat and we got to franchise it out so that you can grow and grow and grow. And he goes through the whole thing about how he's going to become this massive franchise. And the fisherman's kind of like, well, what am I going to do once I become rich? He's like, well, you're going to live in Mexico and you're going to live on the beach and you're going to fish every day. And he's like, but I already do all this. And that is the dumbest proverb, but it's kind of like, I think some of us 
so, so much of our mentality is that we have to have a ton of money to go then have freedom. And it's really a matter of what you don't need and what you don't have, which creates that freedom. And I had to learn that. It took me a long time to learn that. And now it's kind of all about, I've got it pretty figured out in that regard. And I'm still working on that. Ben, I love the story. If you want to follow up with Ben's Ben's sites or his work, again, the the company's name, and we'll link up to both of these in the show notes, is warstick.com. That's W-A-R-S-T-I-C.com. That's his uh, his bat company. And then his design firm, onefastbuffalo.com, where you can check out the uh, the design and branding work Ben has done. Ben, it's it's such a cool story. I've loved diving into it with you. It went, uh, you know, went a lot longer, uh, enjoyably so, than I was planning on it. And uh, appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much. Oh, man. Thanks for taking the time to hear me talk. I really appreciate that. So, Absolutely. That's going to do it for this week. But if you're interested in launching your own e-commerce store, download my free 55-page ebook on niche selection and getting started. And if you're a bit more experienced, look into the e-commerce fuel private forum. It's a vetted community for store owners with at least 4,000 in monthly sales or industry professionals with at least a year or more experience in the e-commerce space. You can learn more about both the ebook and the form at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again next Friday.